Thank you so much for joining us for Ankeny Gospel Church Podcast. On this podcast, you can find sermons, classes, and other resources that continue to invite us into the mission of Jesus and the journey of faith. We hope this is a blessing to you, and if we can help you in any way, feel free to reach out. I'm Corbin Z, and the reading for today is from Matthew 6, 19-24. Don't store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasure in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves don't break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, then your whole body will be full of darkness. So if the light within you is darkness, how deep is that darkness? No one can serve two masters, since either he will hate one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning, everyone. When I saw that I had this passage, I've heard this passage preached a number of times, and uh, a lot of times at the end of this message, there is a surprise announcement of a giving campaign for a building or something. And as, as I was preparing for today, I just thought how badly that misses the mark of what, what is being said here. Because it's easy to see God is making the distinction between God and money and to miss the context in which this is written. This, this is written within the context of the Sermon on the Mount and what Jesus is trying to accomplish in those, those three chapters with his disciples. And he's trying to encourage them and he's trying to help them to understand a lot more than just this one simple concept about money. He is trying to help them to understand what it means to truly flourish. Not just follow rules, not just do what you've always done, not try to just not sin, but to truly flourish in this life, in the life of Jesus. And so my question to start this message this morning for all of us is, as you take stock of your life right now today, would you consider yourself to be flourishing This is a rhetorical question, by the way. We're not going to open a discussion. But would you consider yourself to be flourishing? Because when you're flourishing, when you are so um, in relationship with Jesus, the circumstances of life can't change your flourishing. They They can make life hard, and they can make it difficult, and they can do all of those things. But flourishing, true flourishing, cannot be touched by the circumstances of life. Hang with me. We're going we're gonna to work through this a little bit today. And what Jesus is trying to help his disciples to understand is what is true and what is a lie. And that began way back in the Beatitudes when he was trying to teach them at that point. But you know, <clears throat> if we're really honest, when we say we want to flourish and we want God to speak into our life, Really, a lot of times what we want is for God to do what we want God to do, right? If God would just do what I want him to do, then I would be flourishing, right? 
Yeah, because I know what's best for me, better than even God does. But what if true flourishing means that something in my life has to change? What if God isn't just this big vending machine in the sky that I can go to and then he does what I ask, but actually he says, yes, I want you to flourish, but guess what? In order for you to flourish, there have to be some changes. And in the Sermon on the Mount, what Jesus is doing really is a re-education project for his disciples to help them to think rightly about the life that they've just considered normal. They know what normal life looks like when you, you go to temple, you know, you do sacrifices, you observe the holidays, you do all. They knew what normal life and what they thought good moral life was. And now Jesus is coming in and saying, there's some things that are not quite right. And he's trying to help them to understand what that means. So as we think about this teaching this morning, we talk about money. Money is one of the greatest competitors to God. Wouldn't you agree? For all of us, if there's one thing that's going to lead us by the nose away from God, money is right up there as far as powerful to be able to do that. Money promises us a lot of things. You know, we have natural yearnings in our life for safety and security, for significance, for contentment, for comfort, just to name a few. And money promises us those things. And to be honest, money can provide some of that, can it? Money can provide a little bit of it, but money cannot provide any of it completely. You know, money is not evil. Money can be a wonderful thing. You know, if, if I told you this morning that at the end of the service there are going to be car haulers pulling up with brand new cars and everybody that showed up today gets a brand new car courtesy of Nate. Everybody would be excited and happy about that and that would bring great happiness and joy, wouldn't it? But it takes money for that to happen. So money can provide some of that, but it can't provide what it is that it truly promises. And the problem with money is when we pervert it to be something that it's not. And we make money into a God because money is a counterfeit God. It's a false God. And throughout all of human history, people have chased money as a God, the love of money as of God, and they have done so to their own destruction. Today's passage is a conclusion of a group of teachings in the sixth chapter of Matthew. It's right in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount, and the sixth chapter is about human flourishing. It started in, in verse 1, and it ends today. It talked about how to give, how to pray, how to fast, and today it's talking about how to view money. You may say, well, what does that have to do with flourishing? We're going to look at that in just a minute. So as we think about the Sermon on the Mount and what it means, Jesus is re-educating. He's trying to help his disciples to understand that he is the Messiah and that true uh, health and satisfaction and happiness is found in him. And he's calling them to a greater righteousness that delivers all that God intended for our lives to be. Do you know that God intended more for your life than you're experiencing right now? God intended for your life to be awesome and wonderful and, 
and full of relationship with him. And it's not just for you, but it's also for him. God intended your life to be wonderful for him as well. If you're a parent or you're the child of a parent, you know a parent takes great joy when their child is thriving and doing well and excelling and they're happy and, and things are great. That makes a parent really, really happy. And when a child is struggling and, and they're discouraged and, and things are not going well, and so the parent feels the weight of that as well. So God wants us to have everything for our good, but also because it's what he intended for himself. That's what brings the greatest joy to God is that we live out the lives that he created us for. And that's what he's trying to help reorient the thinking of his disciples in, in the Sermon on the Mount to do. Jesus wants his people to flourish. But how does that happen? You think about uh, the Apostle Paul wrote in Romans chapter 12, you know, don't be conformed to this world, but be uh, transformed by the renewing of your mind. And that's what Jesus is doing in this process on the Sermon on the Mount is he is transforming them through the renewing of their mind as he shares with them the truth that they need to know. He is seeking to radically transform them into his image. He's not just doing a brain dump of information that they need to know. He's trying to transform their thinking so that their lives become more like his and they become in the image of Jesus. Isn't that what we all want? Isn't that what we should aspire to? Well, it's so out there, it's kind of hard to figure that out. What does that even mean? What does that look like? How is that different from my normal life today? We're talk a little bit about that today because everything that we live in our life we we assume to be normal we assume assume to be good and he is saying much for his disciples much of what you have experienced isn't what you thought it was as a matter of fact some of the leaders that you have been following as your religious leaders are hypocrites and of course for those of us who have been uh, at AGC for a while, we know that hypocrite is to do the right thing with the wrong motives. Imagine how shocking this was to them. Imagine if we heard that message today, somebody came in and say, your religious leaders are hypocrites. That would be earth-shaking, wouldn't it? That would be uncomfortable. That would require some big-time change. We're, we're more comfortable with little tweaks than we are big-time change. And what Jesus is talking about is big-time change because that's what it takes to bring our lives into harmony with his. It's not a little tweak. A lot of times it's a big-time change for our lives to come into harmony with him because that's where true human flourishing is found. It's in living in harmony with Jesus. Go back to the garden and in Genesis when God created man and they were walking in the garden in the still of the day and they were communing with God that is what God intended that kind of relationship is what he wants and so to the extent possible in this life for our life to come into harmony with his life is what we want for our human flourishing so again I ask are we living in harmony 
with Jesus today. We're seeing our text this morning, and Jesus concludes this section, and he's going to call us to radically transform our lives to being for us to be more in harmony with him. For this to happen, there needs to be some re-education. So let's jump down into the text in uh, chapter 6. In the first verses, we talked about how to give in chapter 6, verse 3 and 4. It said, but when you give to the poor, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your giving may be in secret. And when your father, who sees in secret, will reward you. We've read that word over and over again in the Sermon on the Mount. We've kind of just gone over it. But what we want to do is really pause at that word. He will reward you. The next one is he taught us how to pray. In verse 6, he says, but when you pray, go into the private room, shut your door, and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. It says, Talking about fasting in verses 17 and 18 of chapter 6, he says, When you fast, put oil on your head and wash your face so that your fasting isn't obvious to others, but to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Reward, 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 flourishing. You see how this is starting to come along as Jesus is trying to help them to see this is the way to flourishing. This is the way to making your life be more like my life. So in our text today, starting in verse 19, we hear about the storing up. He says, don't store up for yourself treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys where thieves don't break in and steal. For where your treasure is there, your heart will be also. So are we spending our lives for the things of the world or for the things of God? It's hard to know because it's just normal life, right? You think about what is a normal experience for us here in, in central Iowa. You know, you, you get a job, you work hard at your job, you put in your dues, you work extra hours, you get a promotion, you get a little more money, and you buy a house and you make it better, and then maybe you buy another house, and you know you keep going. And then you look around and you see that the people that you're working with now, they're making more money too, and they have fancier clothes, and they've got a nicer car. And they've, they've got all this stuff. And so just sort of by inertia, it just happens that we find ourselves in a situation. And maybe we find ourselves in a situation where we have a lot of debt. And it just seems like normal life. Almost like we didn't even have to think about it. It just, we woke up one day and here we are. And it's easy to find ourselves in that situation. It's what is normal for our culture. So how does what is normal in our lives need to change? What in our lives need to change? Say, so if I want 
to be free to do what God wants me to do, if I want to be free to give generously, if God prompts me to be generous with somebody, am I going to have to say, you know what, I can't. There's just not enough money at the end of the month. What are the things that are going to have to change in my life so that I am not living wholly and fully for the things of this world, that I am not available to do the things that God asked me to do? Or are there going to be some needed changes? Chances are, yes. But that's hard, isn't it? Because like it or not, our identity gets wrapped up in the things that we have and the jobs that we have and the places that we live and the the activities that we're involved in. There's a lot of pressure in our culture. And if we're going to say no, we're going to look like the oddball. Well, all of the kids in the neighborhood are in club ball, and so they're going and doing all these things. And, and of course, we want what's best for our kids. Everybody at work is going on the trip to Ireland, and they're doing all this stuff. We need to go to be a team player. You know, there are all of these pressures that, that pull us along. And it's hard for us to say, you know what? Jesus wants me to do these things. He wants me to be generous. He wants my time to be available for service. He wants me to be giving and serving and all of those things. And if I get going with all of that, Every single minute of my day is taken up. And guess what? When the need comes in, guess who's not available? Because I'm living for the things of this world. That sounds kind of judgmental. And we can be busy about the things of God too. But a lot of times it's the things of the world that we get so caught up in that we don't end up being in harmony with what Jesus is trying to do because we're too busy creating our own kingdom here. So those are the things on earth. Don't store up for yourself the treasures on earth. We, we're really well acquainted with those. But what are the treasures in heaven and what is he talking about there? Where is that? What is that? <laughs> you may be sitting there thinking, you know, I really need to know what you're talking about with this heavenly treasure thing because what I need to do is a cost-benefit analysis to see if it's worth sacrificing my whole life for whatever this is because if this just means that I get another little chubby guy with a harp on my cloud, you know, I think I'd rather have the Z06 Corvette now if it's all the same to you. And, and we want to understand what that is. What, what are you talking about, these treasures in heaven? I like what one of the commentators I read said. He said, there is no doubt that this is the main impression one is to get from Jesus' teaching here. He is offering staggering and sure rewards that are treasures from God himself. And as I read that and I thought about that, I just had this image in my mind of the, of the moment that I go to be with Jesus. And he shows me the rewards. And I'm rocked to my core because I can't even comprehend the generosity 
and how that the rewards go on and on and on and feeling, I, I don't deserve that. I can't comprehend what it means for God to give us rewards. But it's not just that, though there is an aspect of that. The other part of the rewards is as we live with him and we're in harmony with him and we bear, his spirit bears witness with our spirit and he moves us and he convicts us and he comforts us and he lives with us and we are attuned to him. And our lives are more full now because of that. Treasures in heaven are going to be amazing. I'm really interested to see what that looks like because as I look around this world, and I look at the beauty of this world, the, the Grand Canyon, Mount Everest, the, just the, the vastness of the oceans. If you've ever looked at a bird and you looked at their feathers and the beauty and I mean just the intricacy as we sit here today and the grass and what's under the grass and the rocks and what holds it up and just the magnificence of everything that God does. There's nothing to compare to a gift from God. Why would we struggle with that? He says, that's what you should be storing up. That's what you should be, that's what your heart should be tuned to. Now, little caveat to that. Again, we're coming back to the heart. We could say, I believe what you said, and I'm going to make it my goal in life to get as much up there as I can. And I'm going to go out, and I'm going to serve the poor today, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put on my calendar all of these service things that I can do so that God is obligated to give me all of these good rewards. And guess what? It doesn't work that way. God is not going to be manipulated. What God is, wants isn't, isn't your service. What God wants is your heart. What God wants is your life. He wants to have a relationship with you. He loves you. Can't wait someday to be in his presence. So we talked about treasures of this, this life, treasures of heaven, but just briefly talking about the heart. God rewards the right heart, the right actions with the right motives. And so as you think about your life and your schedule and your money and your desires, and we take stock of what it is that we are about as a person, what would somebody say about us? This person is generous. This person is kind. This person is available. When, when there's some need, I know who I can call and I know who I can't call. Let's make our heart tuned to him. And that leads us into the next one in verses 22 and 23 where it says the, the eye is a gateway to the heart. The eye is a lamp of the body in verse 22. If your eye is healthy, your whole body is healthy and full of light. Verse 23 says... But if your eye is bad, the whole body is full of darkness. So let the light within, so if the light within you is darkness, how deep is that darkness? Actually, where it says the eye is healthy, it has the, the, the connotation of a singleness of purpose for the eye, more than health. It's the eye that is singularly focused on the things of God, on the brightness, on the light. And when we are singularly focused on the things of God, all of that brilliance comes to live within us and lightens us up from the inside. 
But if our eye is focused on other things, that darkness is so dark. And our decision-making becomes warped. And we make the wrong decisions. So how do I have that singleness of, of, of purpose of my eyes? It goes back to what we've been talking about, the practices, hasn't it? Silence, solitude, reading God's word, prayer, all of those things, those practices that become a part of our life. You know what those practices do? They stop us in our tracks of our normal daily life and say, wait a second, it's time to reset and make sure our focus is squarely on God, to make sure that our eye is focused on God and God alone. Now, verse 24, he makes this, this really stark announcement where he says, no one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Well, to serve God, truly to serve God, how do we know if we're doing that? There is the fruit of the Spirit. There's love, there's joy, there's peace, there's gentleness. And, and we are in obedience to God's word out of a heart of gratitude and thankfulness. It's very easy to know if we're serving money. But what's easier is to judge when somebody else is serving money, isn't it? You know, because I'm not rich. And if I asked everybody in here, I, I'm sure everybody said, I'm not rich. As if being rich is what it means to serve money. And that's, that's not what he's saying at all. You know, we are to be serving God out of a heart of gratitude. What is the evidence of serving money? Well, if serving God is joy, love, peace, and generosity, serving money is disappointment, frustration, and discontentment. Which of those lists more accurately describes me? Love, joy, peace, and generosity, or disappointment, frustration, and discontentment. Because God says you can't have both. It's one or the other. Either you are serving money or you are serving God. You can't have it both ways. And we need to diagnose our heart to find out which way we are going. I was listening to a speech this week and a Senator John Kennedy from Louisiana, if you know who he is, a very colorful guy. And he was talking about politics and he said, what you do is what you believe, not what you say. What you do is what you believe and everything else is just cottage cheese. You know, it's easy to talk about what we believe and even wax eloquent about something we heard about a chapter or a verse or something, but it's what we do. So I thought about that and I thought, is that just a pithy little quote or is that actually scriptural? I thought about 1 John chapter 4 that says, if anyone says I love God and hates his brother or sister, he is a liar. For the person who does not love his brother or sister whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. We have this command from him, the one who loves God must also love his brother or sister. It's one thing to say, I love you guys. It's another thing to actually love you guys, right? One is cottage cheese and one is reality. 
And we're very good at deceiving ourselves in all of that and convincing ourselves through our words of what we say we believe. But how do we spend our money? How do we spend our time? How do we live our lives? Is, is the actual reality of the way that we live our lives consistent with what we say? We're going to find in chapter 7 some very disturbing consequences for people who live lives deceived, thinking they're believers and not actually being. So the challenge for us this morning is to say, is it a reality of my life that I'm serving God and not money? That's a hard thing to do where we live. Let's just all be honest with that. The other thing is, I may fail today. Today, I may choose to serve money and make a really bad choice. But do you know what? When I do that and I go to God and I confess that sin, he is faithful and just to forgive me of that sin. And it is not my identity and he is not going to condemn me forever. And he is going to welcome me back in with open arms. So don't walk out of here saying it's either all or nothing. I have to be perfect or God's going to hate me. That's not the way it is. What he's saying is you need to identify these tendencies in your life and rid yourself of them as they come up and confess and get rid of those so that you can walk in harmony with Jesus. So that you can have the full abundant life that God has created you for. This, this thing about money is a lie. All that it promises you is a lie. You look around and you see all these happy people on Instagram, you know. You know the real people that post all that stuff on Instagram and the reality doesn't match the posts most of the time. Don't buy the lie. Let's serve him. Let's have our eyes singularly focused on him. And the way that we do that is through the practices that we've been talking about. Spending time with him in prayer. Talking to him constantly. Reading his word. Praying for others serving him, times of solitude, all of those things, make our eyes singularly focused on him and see what he will do. So as we close this morning, just be thinking about what in my life needs to change? Where have I got lazy and allowed this area of my life to get out of whack? And today is the day that I'm going to take hold of that and I'm going to confess that sin and I'm going to put it away. And see the victory that God is going to give you in those areas and see how joyful your life can be, how full your life can be. Thanks again for listening and we pray this was a blessing to you. If you have any questions or comments about what you heard, our email is info at com. Or you can find us on social media at Inkening Gospel. Mm-hmm.